0: Your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you are the reason for the season. And Father, tonight, as we look at just this picture of, of your people and how they rebelled against you, Father, I pray that it would be a warning to our own hearts. Lord, as we see the, the roots of rebellion, and then, Lord, we see the fruit of it, I pray, Father God, that, Lord, it would quicken our own hearts to areas of our lives, Father God, that need to change. And Lord, I just thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you exhibit in this text, Lord, as you Lord, just give people another chance, Father. And I thank you that you give us more than one opportunity, many, many opportunities to come to know you. So, Father, we just pray again that you just be with our time in the Word. Be with the kids at the convalescent hospital ministering to the seniors, Lord. I pray they just be a blessing to them, Father. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, last week at the end of Exodus chapter 31, we... We have the end of the forty-day period of Moses having gone up on the mountain, and he's gone up on the mountain. And while he's been there, God's revealed great things to him. He's up on Mount Sinai, and the people knew that he was going up to, to speak to God, that God was going to minister to him. Remember, there was a, it was earthquakeing, and God spoke from the mountain, and they knew that when he went up there, that God was going to minister to him. And he had gone up once before and come down with the, and had verbally been given the Ten Commandments. Excuse me, in Exodus twenty. And so they had begun the Ten Commandments, they had already seen God do mighty miraculous things like parting the Red Sea and delivering them out of bondage in Egypt and leading them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. So they'd seen God move mightily and now he's gone up on the mountain, Moses has, and they're waiting down at the bottom of the mountain. And we know that while Moses has been there, the last eight or nine weeks we've been studying the things that God revealed to Moses, including how to build the tabernacle and and just uh, how the craftsmen were supposed to be appointed to do it, and how to honor the Sabbath, and just basically gave them the law to come down and bring to his people, and that the, there might be a place where God's Shekinah glory would dwell in the tabernacle. And you'd think Moses would just be excited, having spent this time with God, and then to go down and deliver that message to the people. And sadly, when he gets there, he's going to find, a, a, God's going to warn him, but it's not going to be good. And so Moses, this guy, is possibly the greatest leader ever in the Bible apart from Christ himself. He led over three million stiff-necked and faithless murmurers for over 40 years. Think about it. You know, I mean, what kind of, that's not, a, I don't think I want to pastor that church. I Praise God I'm at Calvary Santa Cruz. Can you imagine having three million people that all they ever want to do is go back to Egypt, all they ever do is complain, they're murmuring, God describes them as stiff-necked. That was his church. And he had them for 40 years, and all they did was wander around the wilderness and couldn't enter into the land of promise because of their rebellion and disobedience. Well, here he is. He's up on the mountain. He's getting his marching orders from God. He's getting, getting uh, instruction from God to bring down to his people. Now, Moses had also said of him, he's called a man of God. And I found this interesting. There's only seven people in the Bible that are called by God, or by his word, a man of God. And Moses is one of them. So we know that he was a man used mightily by him. And we'll also notice, too, that in times of difficulty, what did Moses do? Remember already, we've seen him at the Red Sea, the enemies coming, and what did Moses do? He cried out to God, and then God delivered him through the Red Sea. We know the story of the Amalekites, when the Amalekites were coming up upon him, and he told them to go stand up, and as he stood and held up his hands, as long as he held up his hands, he had victory Over the enemy. So Moses was a man who sought God. Moses was a man whose eyes were on God, and that's why he was used mightily by God. We're going to see a contrast in that tonight. And so we also know that he wrote the first hymn in the Bible back in Exodus 15, the first song in the Bible written by Moses. The last hymn in the Bible is Revelation 15, and it's Moses once again being quoted from Exodus 15. He'd been called by God at the burning bush, he'd witnessed the plagues, he'd parted the Red Sea, and now he's had 40 days in his presence, and now he's about to come back down to his people to impart to them what God has shown him. Now I can tell you this, and I know you probably have sensed this yourself, there's times when I've been with the Lord and I cannot wait to come and minister it to somebody else. And it's typically the way it is for me when I study the Bible. I may study 8, 10, 12, 15 hours, whatever it is, and I'm excited to come and share with you guys what God has ministered to my heart. And I'm sure there's times maybe you've gone away in a women's retreat or a men's retreat. or You've gone somewhere and you're excited just to come back and minister to others. Well, Moses had the ultimate retreat, 40 days, hanging out with God, and now he's going to come back and minister to the people. But we're going to see a clear contrast between the, what happens here at, when he comes back down. Well, Here's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see the fruit of rebellion. We're going to then see godly intercession and then finally righteous judgment. Now, the, the roots of rebellion, the things that bring forth rebellion are three things. I want us to pay clear attention to this tonight. If, if, these are things that will lead you to, to rebellion in your walk with God. Number one, impatience. Too often we tell God, Lord, I want it, but I want it right now, right? I mean, Lord, give me patience right now. I mean, we tell God what we want and we instruct him in his timing. Like, and, but God knows his timing is perfect and impatience will lead to rebellion faithlessness. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It really ties in with impatience. We get faithless when we don't see things happening the way we want them to, and that can lead to rebellion. And then lastly, the thing that can lead to rebellion that we'll see tonight is the fear of man. We start worrying about what people think and what people say, and we get our eyes off of God and we get our eyes on the world, it can very easily lead to rebellion. Then sadly, not only will we see the roots of rebellion, we'll see the fruits of rebellion. And the two things we'll see tonight is blasphemy and then immorality. Then secondly, after that, we'll see godly intercession as Moses will intercede on behalf of the people. And then lastly, we will see righteous judgment and that sin has consequences. When we sin, there are consequences to our sin and we'll see that tonight. So let's pick up in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 32 as we look at the story of the golden calf and we'll begin by looking at the roots and the fruits of rebellion. Verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, "Come make us gods that we sh- that they shall go before us, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him." So some time goes by and they get impatient, and they also become faithless. Again, evidence of things so forth substance things hope for evidence of things not seen. They haven't seen Moses. He's not right in front of them. They don't have something tangible to hold on to. They become faithless. And they start to become rebellious. Now, in this time, they have a couple of choices. They can either go to God, or they can go to men. And so often in our own walk, when we're going through difficult times, it's real easy to run to our friends and start asking our friends what they think. Or start coming up with our own plan, instead of coming before God and saying, Lord, i crying out to him, Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me direction. Help me to be patient as I wait upon you. Help me, Lord, to know and to see your perfect will. So here we see impatience and we see faithlessness. The people become also fearful because Moses is on the mountain. It's delayed in their mind. And they go to Aaron instead of seeking God. And But when they went to Aaron, they had a, a, an order for him. And look what they said. Come make us gods that shall go before us. You know what? Every man on this planet, every woman, every child is following somebody or something. You're chasing somebody or something, you're following somebody or something. And these people, they they were used to following after the Egyptians and being led by the Egyptians. And now they've been following Moses and now they say, bring us a God that we might have something to follow. And so we're either following the Lord or we're following our career or we're following the desire for money, or we're following a relationship, or we're following a false god of some kind. And they said, bring us a god that he might go before us. We want something tangible that we can touch and see, and that we will follow, instead of having faith to just follow God. And so they cried out and said, make us, a God. Now, even though they'd seen, again, clear demonstrations of God's power in his plagues, in the parting of the Red Sea, manna from the sky, and again, they, they attribute it sadly to Moses, not to God. They said it's Moses that led us and we don't know where he is. But the reality is, men don't lead, God does. Amen? And any man that does lead is simply a conduit of God's. It's God who's leading through them. Moses is no good without the Holy Spirit. And without him, we can do nothing, the Bible says. So we must be led by, directed by, filled with the Holy Spirit if we're going to be any use to the kingdom of God. So they sought a visible and tangible object to follow. That reminds me of another Old Testament story. Most of you know it, King Saul. Do you remember when Israel had no king? And they cried out for a king, and why did they want a king? Because everybody else had a king. And the the Bible says that God was their king. But they said, and they said, if you, if you raise up a king, he is going to betray you, he's going to take your children from you, he's going to put you into a yoke of bondage, and before it's over, you're going to be crying out to remove him, and you know what the Israelites said? Give us a king anyway. We don't care what the consequences are going to be, we want something tangible to follow. Very much the same as what's happening here, nothing new under the sun. And so he goes up on the mountain for 40 days, and again, I find it interesting in the Bible that 40 is the number of what? testing you know david and goliath 40 days and 40 nights goliath came down and challenged them. the flood it was 40 days and 40 nights of rain when jesus was tempted in the wilderness it was 40 days that he was tempted and so 40 is the number of testing and so while god was ministering to moses he was testing israel they had 40 days that they just needed to wait not a great amount of time but again when you got three million murmuring backbiting whiners guess what they're, they're, I don't think, it may have been four days and they were already whinging, right? These guys, because why? They were looking at their circumstances instead of looking to God. And we can fall into the same trap as they do. It's often in times of trial and patience and fear that our true colors come out. We seek to solve it ourselves. We, go, we try to make it happen through worldly means or we can cry out to God. Verse 2, look what it says. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron, this is the great high priest. This, his rod is going to be in the Ark of the Covenant, Aaron. Moses' big brother, he was there when all the plagues happened. He was holding the rod and Moses took it from his hand. He was standing right there when, when the water was turned into blood. He was there at Passover. He was there when the Red Sea parted. And now they're saying, bring us a God. Now, I would hope that if you showed up and asked me to build you a God, that I'd have a different answer than, hey ladies, go home and get all your gold. Go home and get all your earrings, bring your gold stuff in, bring it in, we'll melt it all and I'll I'll build you a God. That's what Aaron's going to do. It just blows my mind, again, picture of God's grace, but here's Aaron, the great high priest, the big brother of Moses, and what does he do? Yeah, well, uh, go get your earrings and stuff and bring it here. Now, Aaron was, again, a man used mightily by God, but Aaron had a major flaw, and his flaw was fear of man. He was afraid. He was afraid of what the people would think. And instead of crying out to God, or instead of directing them to God, he seeks to please men. And that's a mistake. You know, we're not to be men-pleasers, but God-pleaser. Amen? Now, we're to love people. We're to serve people, we're to lay down our lives for people, but we're to never to go contrary to God's will to try to make people happy. You know what? In every given moment, I believe this is true, and it even says this in the Bible that the fear of man is a snare. And at every given moment, you're either walking in the fear of God or the fear of men. You're either focused on the Lord saying, Lord, I want to walk in the center of your will. Lord, you show me what to do and I'll do it. You know, when you have that intimate relationship with him, he could say, jump high, hi. Lord, what do you want? Then there's other times you're consumed with what people think. And your eyes are not on the Lord at all. And you miss out on His calling, and you miss out on His plan for your life. Aaron doesn't seek the Lord, but instead succumbs to the desires of men. And so let's take a look at what it says in verse 4. And he received the gold from their hand and fastened it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, this is baffling. But you know what? We can make that mistake. You see God do something mighty in your life, and then we get amnesia spiritually. You know, the Lord comes and delivers us. The Lord comes and does a great thing, and then some time goes by and things get difficult, and we, we attribute what happened in the past to something else. And now we're going from the roots of rebellion to the fruits of rebellion, and the fruit of rebellion here is blasphemy. They're attributing to a golden calf what God had done. They're saying this calf did it, you know, this prayer cloth that you send in for, and I sweat it on, it's the prayer cloth, it's a, you know, it's some method, it's some program, it's some church, it's some, you know, apparition of Mary, it's something else, we, we, we go and bow to something other than trusting God, and they say it's the golden calf that did it, this is your God, O Israel, and three million lemmings go, oh, you know what I mean, they start worshiping. And, where is it? and the sad part is that the Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who will show himself so strong in his account. Someone who will stand in the gap. Someone who will step up and go, what, are you guys stupid? There was no golden calf. Now here's the scary part. The golden calf was one of the gods of the Egyptians. They were in bondage in Egypt, and the golden calf was a deity, a deity to, to uh, fertility and sexual strength. And so they build that calf and start worshipping it, right, I mean, after God delivered them. Now this is the amazing part, they've been delivered out of bondage in Egypt, Egypt is a type or a picture of the world, remember we talked about that, and they were delivered out of that bondage, a picture of sin, and now they're away from the bondage and they go right back to worshipping the very thing that had had them in bondage for about 400 years. You know what, that's a picture of for us as Christians. Sometimes we become born again, we're new creations in Christ, and then we go right back and start worshipping the very thing we were in bondage to before we got saved. Whether it's our career, or a relationship, or a, a habit, or whatever it might be, and the Lord says, I've delivered you from that. And they're crying out, and they've made this golden calf their God. Again, one of the chief deities in all of Egypt. Aaron compromises and he, he may have even thought in his mind, if, if this will help them to be able to visualize God, give them an object to relate to, then I guess I'll do it. You know, as long as we still talk about Yahweh, it's okay if we have a golden calf, as long as we've got something, and I'll still talk about Yahweh, we're going to see that in the next two verses. Now, this happens in the church today. This is the, this is the first seeker-sensitive movement right here. They said, here, let's build a calf, and we'll draw people with it, and then, you know... It, we give them something to look at, something to touch, and we'll give them something they remember from back in Egypt in the world, and we'll, you know, but we'll put an altar around it, but we'll still talk about God once they get here. And the world does the same thing. It says, you know, let's be relatable to people. Let's be sensitive to the seeker. Let's make them feel comfortable. Now, let me tell you this. I want you to feel loved and I want you to know that we're so blessed that you're here and it's an answer to prayer that you're here but you know what the reality is when the Word of God is taught you're not always gonna be comfortable. Amen? Sometimes it's gonna be convicting. Sometimes it will encourage us and sometimes it will convict us. But what happens is that they take the, instead of a a model of being surrendered to God, placing Him on the throne of your life, dying to self, to make it easy for people, culturally relevant, politically correct, Watering down spiritual truth to gain worldly acceptance. This golden calf, again, a picture of, we'll make it represent God, but it won't really be God, but you know what? It'll draw people. That's why you got Bozo the Clown at church on Sunday. You got the Flying Walendas. You know, we got whatever we got to do to draw a crowd. We'll only have a 12 minute message. You know, drive through church. We we don't want to inconvenience your life. You know, we we just want you to have that get out of hell free card you can put in your wallet. But, you know, we don't want to impact you and get in your way of what you want to do. You got football games to go to and brunches to attend. And, you know, we're not going to get involved in your life. But here's the reality Christianity is not something you drive through on Sunday for 12 minutes. Amen? It's having a a relationship with the living and breathing almighty creator of the universe who becomes your best friend. And you know what? For him to be my best friend, I must die to me and be alive in him. And I must surrender my will to his will and trust him and have a love relationship with him. Not put up the, you know, oh, let's just water it down. Let the world feel comfortable. Let's make it easy for him. I know you don't come to this church for comfort because you're sitting on the metal chairs, okay? So God bless you guys. But here's the reality. A lot of times, you know, we make it look like a movie theater and get the sign and do everything we can to make it as comfortable as we can, but then not share with people. You know, pastors can do, again, be guilty of that today. You know, showing people movie clips, slides of today's icons in the church. You know, we don't have to be so biblical. I've had pastors tell me that. We don't have to be so biblical. Whoa, time out. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the slideshow. No, that's not what it says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the PowerPoint 12-minute presentation that's watering down the gospel. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And too often what we do is we want to get away from the Word. And the Bible says in the end times that men will raise up for themselves ear ticklers, people that will tell you what you want to hear and make it convenient for you and so you can just keep living your life and not be impacted by God's Word and have no impact for the kingdom of God or the lost world around you. And so we see here the golden calf, the first secret sensitive church. You know, here's something that is tangible, and you know, you'll st- it's like the world and it's relatable to you, and you can come and you can look at it. Verse five. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation: "Tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. Tomorrow is the feast of the Jehovah of Jehovah, and we're going to have it around the golden calf." Aaron. In trying again to become culturally relevant, he led people in the wrong direction. Instead of taking them to the Lord, he took God's people to the golden calf. You know what? I've heard pastors quote R-rated movies in their sermon. Oh, was a movie, you know, and starts quoting it. And then what do you think everybody there thinks? It's not crossing over and bringing those people to Christ. It's taking God's people and crossing over and saying, well, if pastor went to see that movie, it must be Okay. Quoting lyrics from, you know, M&M or something like that. You know, quoting lyrics from garbage. And then what happens is, we don't, the crossover goes the wrong direction. People say crossover to bring people to Christ. It just crosses over and takes God's people into the world. They brought this worldly icon that all it was doing, it wasn't bringing people to the true and living God. It was bringing them back to the worldly place that they had come from. The deity that had been in Egypt, the place they had been for 400 years. You know what? We're to be in the world but not of the world. We're to come out and be separate. We're not to love the things of the world anymore. We're new creations in Christ. You know, again, I, and that's why I'm so careful about the things I say, the things I do, the things I watch, the places I go. As a Christian, first and foremost, and then even more so as your pastor. The last thing I want to do, you know, I was a youth pastor, for years. I used to run into people all over the place. You know, i get up on Sunday and somebody would speak to a couple thousand people and then they would see you you know, at the video store somewhere, and I would be praising God that I never had a movie in my hand that I wouldn't watch with the Lord in the room. You know, we need to be careful. And we need not to cross over and bring people back to the world. We need to be set apart and sold out to Him. Remember that what you win them with is what you'll win them to. If you win them with a golden calf, you've won them to the golden calf. If you win them with Bozo the Clown in the petting zoo and free hamburgers on Sunday... Then you've won them to the petting zoo and free hamburgers and bows of the clown. But if you win them with the word, you will win them to the word. And what I love about you guys is you guys have fallen in love with the Bible. And that's what changes your life. And when you fall in love with God's word, you become contagious to the world around you. And so praise God. And again, crossover goes the wrong way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Moses was hanging out with God. Aaron was hanging out with people. You become like those you hang around. I used to tell the kids in youth group all the time, you want to know what you're like, look at your friends. You want to know what kind of person you are, look at the friends you hang out with, because that's the kind of person you are. You know, and that's reality. If you're hanging around a bunch of people that are in rebellion to their parents, that have bad attitudes, that's the kind of person you are. If you're hanging out with somebody who loves the Lord, typically that's because you love the Lord. You know what, as Christians, we don't have to choose our friends. You just fall in love with Jesus, and one of two things will happen. The people that start coming around you are people that love him too, or the friends that you've already had won't want to be your friends anymore. Now, Pastor Dave, that's kind of harsh. Well, we need to love them, but the reality is that bad company corrupts good morals. And Aaron had been hanging out with three million murmuring whiners. And Aaron, what does he do? Oh, okay, golden calf sounds good. Okay, bring your gold. Let's do it. it. Can you imagine? He's there working on that golden calf. Aaron, weren't you there? Passover, dude. Smack, you just want to slap the guy. But the reality is, we've all got a little Aaron in us. We'll make that same mistake where we'll go back to the world and we'll hang on to the world. You know what? If you're in the Word every day, you're spending time in His presence, you will seek to please and obey Him. And you will become more like Him. But if you're hanging out with the world, entertained by the world, seeking after the things of the world, you're going to become very worldly. You're going to become a carnal Christian. Verse 6. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, we saw that the first thing that happened was blasphemy. The first fruit of rebellion. The second fruit of rebellion is immorality. Rose up to play. and I want to get real graphic, but basically they had a drunken orgy with three million people. Aaron, the great high priest, did crossing over help? Did that work? Hey guys, we'll make a golden calf, it'll be tangible, then you guys will all come, and I can tell you the truth about Jehovah. No, it didn't happen. And what happened was they went right back into Egypt. They went right back into the world. They went right back and lived like the devil. They went right away from God. Crossing over didn't work. Building the golden calf, oh, didn't work out, did it? And you know what? Again, what were they one to? They were one to a golden calf. If there's a golden calf, there's no reason to seek after God. They rose to play, drunken, out of control, immoral. Now, we leave them there, but look what happens. I love this part because now we see Moses' heart. Moses is going to intercede on their behalf. You know, Moses is the ultimate senior pastor. A lot we can learn, a lot that we can all learn as Christians from Moses, but especially as a pastor because he's going to love his people in spite of. Of all their shortcomings. I'm glad that my wife loves me in spite of my shortcomings. And I'm really glad that God loves me in spite of my shortcomings. Amen? He that knows me best loves me most. God knows everything about me. He knows every wicked, vile thing I've ever done. He knows every bad thought I've ever had. And he loves me more than anybody else. That's an awesome God that we serve. Amen? He's a forgiving and a gracious God. But Moses, we're going to see his heart where Aaron is blowing it making the golden calf, secret, sensitive church, trying to draw people with something else, and Moses instead is going to intercede on their behalf. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. They're up on the mountain. For your people, and I love this, God calls them what? Your people. Hey, Moses, see those people down there, drunken and immoral? Those are your people. Not mine. Those are yours, right? It's like when my kids blow it. That's your son, right? To my wife, right? That's your son. that's your son. That ain't my son, right? I mean, we blame it on each other. Well, God's doing the same thing. He says, your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt? God did. He used Moses, but God brought them out. Have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, we see so many things here. First of all, God knows everything. Amen? He's up on the mountain having a conversation with Moses. They're down at the bottom of the mountain doing this, and God knows. You cannot hide your sin from God. Amen? We can't be in rebellion and think that somehow God doesn't see this. Shh, God won't know if I just real quiet about it. No, God knows. God sees the secret part of your heart. And God sees their rebellion, and He's sending Moses back down to deal with them. Verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. See, that's not Pastor Dave's opinion. That's God. God said they're stiff-necked. They're stubborn. They're rebellious. They're murmurs. How many times have they already whined about going back to Egypt? I want to go back to Egypt. They wanted to get out of Egypt for 400 years to get out of Egypt. Oh, well, want to go back. Yeah, leeks and onions back there. Let's go back to Egypt. You're in bondage there, man. They were whipping you. You were making bricks without straw. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Selective memory, right? You ever notice how the world's like that? You always have fond memories of worldly stuff. You ever notice that? You, you tell your friends, yeah, man, that party was great. It was wonderful. Yeah, you mean that? Wasn't that the day when you were like throwing up all night? You had a headache the next day, and I found you like laying in your own vomit in the middle of the... Oh, yeah, that's right. We have the selective memory. We remember the good stuff, and we forget the consequences of sin. Oh, yeah, let's go back to Egypt. What? You guys were getting whipped there. You were in bondage there. These same guys murmuring stiff-necked people. And here they are. They got the golden calf set up. They got Egypt out of Mount Sinai. And God says, Moses, I want you to go down and deal with them. And while Moses is there, again, his people had become... The stubborn group of folks out of God's will. And in, his God's, in God's anger, he refused to even claim them as his own. That's not a good place to be, by the way. God angry at you, that's not good. I, that's not good. I mean, I, it's bad when my wife's angry. I don't like that. But when God's angry at you, that's, that's no bueno. When God's anger is stirred up, the Bible. there's places in the Bible where God says he hates people. Oh, that's not good. He hated them. Oh. As a matter of fact, it says in Deuteronomy that God hated Aaron. And wanted to kill him because he made the golden calf. Oh, that's not good. And the only reason that God didn't smoke Aaron is Moses prayed for him. It's in Luke chapter, or Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 19 and 20. You'll see that it's there. And so God was angry with them because they were rebellious. They had turned away from him. He had loved them so much. He had delivered them from so much. And they went right back into the bondage they'd been delivered from. And it broke his heart and it grieved him. Verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn against them and I may consume them and I will make you a great nation. You know what he says here? Moses, leave me alone. I'm smoking them all. I'm going to smoke them all and I'm starting over with you. It's not going to be the seed of Abraham anymore. It's going to be the seed of Moses. Now, I would think that that for Moses, for the most part, part of him might have thought, that sounds pretty good. I mean... I mean, you're the pastor of three million murmuring complainers, whiners, right? Who want to go back to Egypt. They're always whining all the time. They're a total disaster. And now the Lord has just, God has just told you, oh, they made a golden calf since you've been gone. And they're sacrificing to it. And they're partying like no other. And you know what? I'm going to smoke them all and just start over with you. Oh, well, that sounds pretty good. But he didn't do that. We see here that Moses had the heart of a pastor. And Moses didn't say, okay, Lord. You know, get rid of those three million deadbeats and let's start over with me. Seed of Moses, that sounds pretty good. No, he didn't do that. Instead, Moses is going to show his heart, and in spite of the rebellion, he's going to intercede on their behalf. Look at verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? He comes to God, he addresses God's people, his prestige, and his promise. And he comes to him and says, Your people. Lord, remember, these are your people. I know they're blowing it, but these are your people. And he reminds them, Lord, these are your people. Now, did God need to be reminded? The answer is no. I believe this entire exercise is for one reason. It's to prepare Moses to be able to go back and lead these three million whiners. God wanted his heart to be changed. God wanted to touch him in such a way that he would go back and say, you know what, I love these people, and I want to minister to them. And God had given him that heart. And so the first thing he says is, these are your people. Then he says to him, verse 12, Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your, fi- your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. So this first thing he says is, Lord, they're your people. And then second of all, he says, they're the people of your name. You, you had a testimony before the Egyptians. You brought them out of Egypt. Lord, if you smoke them, then all the Egyptian gods are going to think they've won. All the Egyptian people are going to say, see, we smoked them. Yeah, they delivered they didn't deliver anything. They were all killed out in the wilderness. Our God is God. And he said, Lord, for the sake of your... Of, of your testimony before Egypt. Don't harm your people. Lord, for the sake of your... They're your people. They belong to you. And then thirdly, for the sake of your promise, verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I've spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So he said, they're your people Remember that they're a testimony to your name, and then thirdly, Lord, remember your promise. You know, if God had done it, He'd be breaking His promise, so God couldn't have done it. Amen. You know, God cannot change. Why? Because if He were to change, then it would mean that He would have to, that He would need to change. God doesn't need to change; He's perfect. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He knows all. He's God. He didn't have to change. He didn't have to do anything different. He can't learn. God can't learn. How could God learn? He knows everything. Amen? And so, but we see here that God is using this to minister to His man who is standing in the gap on behalf of His people. Now look what it says here. Now I don't want you to be confused by this, but read this. So the Lord relented from the harm which He said He would do to His people. If you go back to verse 9, He says that I may. He doesn't say I will. That I may. Again, this is preparing the heart of Moses. And the word relent, he let go. He didn't do what he said that he might do. He never was going to do it. It was never his plan to do it. He had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that his descendants would number like the stars in the sky. He had been breaking his promise. God can't do that. But he was testing the heart and preparing the heart of Moses to be a a godly leader, to stand in the gap on behalf of his people. Again, he didn't change his mind. He said, I may consume them. Now Moses intercedes. And I love the fact that this guy loves these people so much. People deserving of judgment. But you know what? The Bible says that they were deserving of judgment unless one would stand in the gap and intercede on their behalf. Did Israel deserve judgment for what they had done? Worshipping a golden idol. What's the answer? Absolutely. But they, were, they escaped judgment. Why? Because one interceded on their behalf. What's that a picture of? It's Jesus. We're deserving of, of, of hellfire and separation from God because we are sinners. Amen? If you didn't know you were a sinner, you're a sinner. How many murderers you got to be before you're a murderer? That'd be one. How many times you got to sin before you're a sinner? That'd be one, right? You ever told a lie before? Okay, a bunch of liars. See, so that means we're sinners. And if you you say you've never lied, you're lying right now, so that's two, okay? But we're all sinners in need of a Savior, and the only way that can happen is someone must intercede on our behalf. And there's only one that can intercede for us, and that's Jesus Christ. And Moses is a type, quite often in Scripture, of Jesus Christ. Delivered from bondage in Egypt, Jesus delivered us from the bondage of sin. Moses interceding on behalf of a wicked people, Jesus interceding on behalf of us, sinners in need of a Savior. So people deserving of judgment, and he interceded. The Bible says in Ezekiel, I look for a man to intercede on behalf of the people and found none. You know what? Every time God does something awesome, awesome, people are interceding on behalf of others. We want to see revival in Santa Cruz County? Let's start praying for it and watch God work. Amen. Now, we're not going to change God's mind. It's going to change our hearts. And God will know before the foundation of the world that we're going to pray. And He's already planned to bring revival, but our hearts need to be knit to His. Amen? We want to know what God's doing? Pray. We want to be in the center of His will? Pray. Seek after Him. And watch God do great and mighty things. So we move on from rebellion, the roots of it and the fruits of it, to intercession. And now we're going to see righteous judgment. Let's finish off the chapter without righteous judgment the rest of the way. Says, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. Now, what is that? Ten commandments are in his hand, and he's walking down with the Ten Commandments. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other side, they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and writing was written writing of God engraved on the tablets. So Moses is coming down with the law in his hands, written by the very hand of God. Verse 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But Moses, but he said, and that's Moses, it is not the noise of the shout of a victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. How did Moses know it wasn't war? How did he know? God told him. God told him they're making sacrifice down there to a calf and now they're partying down there and he knew when he was coming what he was going to see. And you know what? When we hang out with God, God gives us the gift of discernment. Amen? If you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you know someone will say, oh, that's that. No, it's not. Why? Because God showed you. God revealed to you. You hang out with the Lord, He gives you understanding. He's coming down the mountain, Joshua says, Oh, it's a war, we either lost a or war, or we won a battle, it's something incredible. Lord, Joshua's walking down with Moses, Moses, no it's not. What you hear is singing. They're partying down there. And I'm going to go deal with them in just a minute. And he knew again from what God had told him what was going on. So it was, verse 19, As soon as he came near to the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets of his hands and broke them at the feet of the mountain. I do not believe that that Moses is sinning here. I believe this is righteous anger, much like what we saw on Sunday in John chapter 2. What happened in John chapter 2? Who remembers? The Lord made a whip out of cords, and he went in and he whipped the guys who had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. And here, Moses comes down, and even though he knew it was coming, can you imagine coming down? And seeing the people that you've interceded on behalf of, and you see this mass of people as far as the eye can see, just totally out of control and worshiping a false god. Can you imagine after spending 40 days in the presence of God and coming down and seeing that, how, anger, how there'd be righteous anger? And he takes the tablets and he throws them down and they break. And it's interesting to me that Moses breaks the law after seeing the people breaking the law. He sees them breaking the law and he takes the law and he throws it down. There's no value to these people. Look at them. They're total rebellion. They're out of control. They've missed God completely. He's interceding on on their behalf, but at the same time, it broke his heart. And when he saw it, he was angered over sin. You know, so involved in their sinful behavior that Moses came down, they didn't even notice. And I believe there's going to be many people in the church, same thing's happening. We're so involved in the world that we don't realize that our Savior's return is very soon. Amen? Moses comes down. This is what they've been waiting for for 40 days. He comes down and they're just so involved in partying and doing their worldly stuff, they don't realize that Moses has come back with a word from God. We get so involved in the world, we can miss out on what God is trying to tell us or teach us. Verse 20. Now I like this Moses guy. Verse 20. Then he took the calf, which they made, and he burned it in the fire, and he ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water, and made the children of Israel drink it. Now, is this guy struggling with the fear of man? Is he worried at all what people think? Aaron's like, oh, yeah, okay, make a golden calf, whatever you want. Yeah, okay, okay. Bring the, bring the stuff. Okay, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay, whatever you. And Moses comes down and says, what are you guys doing? takes the calf and throws it in the fire and then smashes it in small pieces, grinds it up into powder and says, yeah, your God's pretty tough. <coughs> right? Grinding it all up. Here's your God. <coughs> Grinding it up. And then he puts it in the water and he makes them drink it. And to me, you know what this is a picture of? That sin has consequences. You're going to deal with your sin sooner or later. And he had to drink, they had to drink this idol that they were once worshiping, now they're drinking it. It's been ground into powder. Moses came back and was not happy. And again, I believe this is righteous anger. I promise you, if I go away on a trip and I come back and you guys are worshiping an idol in here, I'm, I'm probably gonna have I'm gonna have a Moses flashback, man. I'm gonna go nuts, right? I mean, and that, that's the same thing. Moses comes in, he's their pastor. And they're worshiping a golden calf. What are you guys doing? And he goes over there and smashes it up, <laughs> grinds it into powder, throws it in the water. Drink it. You guys consequences. You're dealing with it. He intercedes on their behalf, but it doesn't mean that He kowtows to their wants or their wills or their wishes or their desire. And it reveals both the wrath of God and the powerlessness of the golden calf that they were serving. Again, as the heart of a pastor, He loves His people enough to destroy that very thing that would harm them. It's like a, this is a golden calf. It's like wolf in sheep's clothing. It's something that would bring harm to His people. And again, they had to drink it, the consequences of sin. Now look at, look at Aaron. And Moses said to Aaron, What were you thinking? That's a Dave paraphrase. Moses, why did this people do to you? What did this people do to you that brought you so great a a sin upon them? What did they do to you that caused you to do this? How in the world did this happen? I was gone for 40 days. I went on a short trip with my assistant pastor. I come home and they're worshiping golden calves. What in the world happened when I was gone? I'm on a retreat, I'm hanging out with God, I come back, God wants to do mighty things, and you're worshiping a golden calf. What happened? He questions Aaron. It's his big brother. What in the world are you doing? Now look at what Aaron does. So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. I think it's a little late for that. You know the people that they are set on evil. So who does he blame it on? It's the people. We talk about this all the time. When confronted with sin, we can do one of three things. We can make excuses, we can accuse others, or we can repent. The woman thou gavest me. That's what Adam said, right? It's that woman. She's the one who did it, right? And we're always pointing at somebody else instead of repenting. We can make excuses. Well, everybody else is doing it. That's my kid's favorite one. Well, yeah, well, he hit me first, you know. And there's always a reason for our sin instead of, ah, you're right. So Aaron points at other people, says they're evil. Well, dude, you're their pastor, And they're worshiping a golden calf. Where in the world were you? Well, they're evil. Those people are bad. Well, that might be true, but where were you at, bro? What were you doing? Moses is interceding for them, and Aaron is blaming them for his own actions. Moses is praying for him, interceding on behalf of God, saying, Lord, don't smoke him. Lord, save him for the sake of your name. And Aaron's over there molding the golden calf look at the next verse this is even worse for they said to me make us gods that shall go before us as as for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt we do not know what has become of him so I said whoever has any gold let him break it off so they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this calf came out (laughs) liar he blames the people first then he says yo we just threw this gold in there and this calf came popping out of there I mean, Moses was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, he has some discernment. He's been gifted by God. This calf just popped out of the fire. Man, now that's not repentance. When confronted with sin, you start blaming other people. It's amazing. He blames others. He points at others. He doesn't take responsibility for his own sin. And that's what repentance means. Repentance means to come before God broken over your sin and say, Lord, forgive me. And here's the good news. He will forgive you every single time. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. You know what? We must come to the place where we're not worried about what other people say or what other people think. We can't be like Aaron where we start following the world and just listening to them because we want to fit in. We've got to come to the point where it's not what do people say, but what does the Bible say? Amen? I'm going to give you an example, a couple of them. I have a 14 year old daughter. Everybody else in the world thinks they know how to tell me. what. I, I don't believe in dating. I believe in courtship to marriage. You do with your kids whatever you want. That's fine. But I'm not doing anything other than what God tells me to do. And my, my people come to me all the time. Well, you know, we're having this party at school, and all the other kids get to come, in the whole school, and you won't let your daughter come. I say, are there boys going to be there? Are they going to have boys there This swimming pool party? Yeah, my daughter ain't coming. She's going to be the only kid not Well, then she's going to be the only kid not coming. I'm not listening to men. I'm listening to God. And when I walk my daughter down the aisle and I take her hand out of my hand and I put it in her husband's hand, I'm saying from the day she was born until this moment, I've had spiritual headship over her life. And and I've guarded and protected her for this very day. And I'm going to take her hand and put it in her husband's hand at that moment. Now, I can go with what the world says, I can go with popularity says, I can do what they say, or I can do what God says. And I have to confess to you, there's times I'm not very popular with my daughter. She loves the Lord, but when 90 of her friends are going to a party and she's the only one not going... I've told her beginning of high school, Ashley, I love you enough that I'm willing to have you mad at me for the next four years. That's how much I love you, because I care way more about you. And there has to come a point where we stop worrying about what the world says. When everybody at work telling you to do something, when every, every Christian you know went to see a movie and you know that it's wrong, when everybody's doing something and you say, that, but wait a minute, what does the Bible say? When every other church is doing something. We cannot let other churches be the thing that directs us. We cannot let other even people or even other Christians. We've got to hear from God. Walking with Him. Led by Him. Directed by Him. That's the kind of man Moses was. Aaron went with the world, and he's down there worshiping a golden calf and saying it popped out of the, out of the soup. No, yeah, it just popped out of there. You know what? You're going to get yourself in an awkward position if you're someone who fears men. You're going to be blaming men for a lot of stuff. You're going to have to say, oh, it was their fault. Someone else did it. Well, you know what? There comes a time where we, we all have a standard. And it's either popularity before men and our fleshly desires or obedience before God and being led by the Holy Spirit. So Aaron lies. And marks of true calling and faithfulness are this. It won't lie or compromise to win favor with men. And again, in Deuteronomy 19, the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. But Moses interceded on his behalf. Prayed for him. Aaron blew it. Moses prayed for him. God using Aaron in the future as a picture of God's grace. So we see here, well, it just popped out. This calf just came out of there. I can't believe those words came out of his mouth. I mean, it's unbelievable, but I know that there's things come out of my mouth. I didn't believe it when it came out of my mouth. Amen? You've said things, and man, you're trying to cover for yourself, and you lie, and you do things you shouldn't do because you just don't want to deal with the consequences. And the reality is that it's better to be Honest before God and honest before men and deal with the consequences than deal with the wrath of God later. Now, verse 25. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. That word unrestrained can also be interpreted naked. So he comes down and sees a bunch of naked drunk people. And he stands up and he just, ah. Oh. And so now, here comes righteous judgment. Righteous judgment is holy and pure and just. It's always fair. It's always more than fair. It's always giving us more of an opportunity than we deserve. And he stands there and says, those of you, let me read it exactly. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Moses steps up. They're partying, they're out of control, and says, whoever's on God's side, come here. Come over here. You know, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. The same thing must happen in our lives. There must come a point where the world around us is a mess, and we say, you know what, I want to be identified with the Lord. I don't care what anybody else is doing, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I want to be identified with Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of His, I want to serve Him. And the Lord said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out of the entrance to the entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Whoa. Here comes the judgment part. The Levites all came. And now we know, we know later on, I'm running out of time, but we know later on that what happened was that the tribe of Levi became the priestly tribe. And it became the priestly tribe because of this right here. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and there's one tribe where every single person came when they said, who's on the Lord's side? All the Levites went. Remember that the Levites back in Genesis, they were out of control. They, they brought vengeance because of their, do- their sister Dinah's rape, they were, their bad news, they got judged by God. But now we see them now, and they're the only tr- tribe that came in unison before God. Now we know many from other tribes came too, but then the Levites, he says to them, now, because you've come... You need to take your sword, and those who continue to be in rebellion, you need to go and slay them. Now, these are the kind of chapters where people say, man, the Bible is a bloody book. You know what? It is. It is. But let's read the whole story. God brought them through out of bondage. He parted the Red Sea. He wiped out their enemies. He led them with a cloud and led them with a pillar of fire. He revealed. He spoke from the mountain and gave them the Ten Commandments. They saw His presence. And then what do they do? They choose to go contrary to Him and live in rebellion and be in debauchery and guess what? Judgment came. Now, that might be oh, that's just not fair. Hello? If I'm just rebelling against God and I don't want anything to do with God, then I'm going to reap the consequences of my choice. And that's what's happening here. These are the consequences of their own actions. He's a loving God. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. He doesn't want to see one person separated from Him. But He will never force anybody to have a relationship with Him. We choose. His offer is universal, but it's accepted individually. Amen? He offers it to everybody, but we each have to make a decision. Yeah, Lord, I I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Lord, where else am I going to go? I want to be your child. I want to follow you. Anybody wants to come, come follow me? Yes, Lord, I, I want to follow You. I want to leave that behind. That's not satisfying. I've done that. I end up throwing up on myself. I don't want, Lord, I don't want that anymore. I want to come serve You. And that's the choice that's being made. And it's interesting that what do they use to slay them? What does it say in that, say in that verse? A sword. So the sons of Levi, verse 28, did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, What is a sword a representation of? The Word of God. And the Word of God will either be what reveals truth to you and brings salvation in your life through the person of Jesus Christ, or the Word of God will be the thing that brings judgment upon you. The Bible says that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, it's interesting to me in this verse, how many souls died that day? What does it say? 3,000. Okay, the law was delivered, and 3,000 died. Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. How many people got saved? 3,000. When the law was delivered, 3,000 died, and when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 were saved. The law brings forth death. It reveals to mankind our need for a Savior, and the Holy Spirit brings hope and life. Amen? And so we see through the Old Testament law, we we need to be born again. But without it, we'll be crushed by it. But the Holy Spirit came to bring and to give us life. In obedience to God, they went out and they delivered His judgment as they've been called. Almost done. Verse 29. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that He may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Consecrate. Be set apart. And they were set apart from that point forward. To do again, to the obedience to God's call. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will make atonement for your sin. While the major, many of the major instigators were slain, the only one that survived of the major instigators was Aaron because of Moses' intercession, Mo- Moses recognized the guilt of the entire nation and went before God to intercede on their behalf. Who's that a picture of? It's Jesus Christ. They're all guilty even though only some were slain verse 31 Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, "Oh these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot out blot me out of your book which you get you have written." How much did Moses love these stiff-necked, perverse people? He was willing to die He was willing to be blotted out of the book because he loved the people so much. You know what? They're in rebellion. They're murmurs. And he loved them anyway. What's that a picture of again? That's Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm willing to be suffer and die in their place. He looked down and people were, were mocking God. They were out of his will. They rebelled against him. And he came anyway and suffered and died that we might have eternal life. What a wonderful God we serve. And we see here the... That Moses, again, being a type. What, kind, what, what in the world gave Moses this heart for these people? How is this possible? Who gave him this heart? God did. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you know what? The love that we have for each other is supernatural. Amen? One of the things I hear most often about our church is when people come, we're a new church still, people come and they say, you know what? People love each other there. That's the way it ought to be. Amen? People are friendly, they're kind, they're caring. That's the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. Verse 32. Yet now, if you'll forget, verse 33, excuse me. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore, go lead the people to the place where I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. Now there are those that would sin and not repent, and the result would be Judgment, separation from God for all eternity, then there are those who would sin and repent, and there are still consequences if I go out and I cheat on my wife, God will forgive me, but i wouldn 't be your pastor anymore. I could end up with AIDS, I could lose my family i could all, all those things could happen, right? I can go out and drive my car and go ninety miles an hour and Hit up, you know, and run into some people and harm them, and and you know what? The Lord will forgive me, but I might end up in jail for killing somebody in a car accident. So while God will forgive us for our sin, quite often those sins will still have consequences. Amen. And so why does the Lord tell us not to sin? It's because he's not because he's a no fun bummer God, but because he loves us and he doesn't want us to have to deal with the consequences of it. If Michael come back up, Mike and Fred. Close with a song. And so it says in the verse 35, So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Plagues came upon them. Isn't it interesting? When they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt, what delivered them? Plagues. And what was it that came upon them when they went outside of God's will? Those very same plagues. So in review, this evening, we looked at rebellion. What are the roots of it? Impatience, faithlessness, and the fear of men. When you're getting impatient, remember that's a a root of... Rebellion. The fruits of it are blasphemy, worshiping false gods, and immorality. We see there also tonight, we saw a godly intercession, Moses interceding on behalf of people. Let me encourage you with something. If you have people in your family and they don't know God, keep praying for them. Amen? If you have friends that don't know the Lord, keep praying for them. God, God loves when we intercede. And then righteous judgment that sin has consequences. And that the word of God is either the source, source, uh, it, that, uh, that is the source of truth, either leads to salvation or is the source of judgment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love and your grace. And we thank you that though we are all a stiff-necked and perverse people, that, Lord, that we seek after our own way. Our oh, Lord, you love us anyway. And you came and suffered and died in our place. I pray, Father God, that we would just fall in love with you that we would seek after you with our whole hearts and that we would be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd help us to have a heart to intercede on behalf of those who don't know you. Pray for our coworkers, and pray for our uh, family members that don't know you, Lord. And for this Christmas season, just give us opportunities to share our faith with a world that's so desperate for you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Let's stand up and worship. Thank you.